all of us here in the sanctuary are cognizant of the fact that there are viewers streaming this worship service all over the place. And um, I want to say to those who are streaming that uh, we are delighted that you are tuning in, and we hope that this service is a source of joy to you. Some of you are in your pajamas and we're envious. Some of you are having a cafe latte, and we would love to do that too. But I want you to know that there are, is a large group of people here who are praying that God's Word will reach out and touch you. The sermon lesson today is taken from Luke chapter 23. We're going to put it up on the screen, and I would love to have you read it right along with me if you'd be kind enough to do that. Together, please. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. My friends, God always blesses the reading and the hearing of the word. Question. How do you like your oysters? Well, some people like oysters fried, some like oysters Rockefeller, some like them in stew, some like them in gumbo. And if you're going to eat your oysters raw, then you better have some other things like horseradish, lemon, red sauce, and Tabasco. Got to have Tabasco. One of the interesting things about an oyster is that if a grain of sand penetrates its shell, It's a source of irritation to the oyster. And so the oyster sacrifices some of its own tissue to layer over that grain of sand over and over again. It puts its own tissue on that irritant until it becomes a pearl. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that the wounded oyster saves its shell by a pearl. The wounded oyster saves its shell by a pearl. Who is your favorite disciple of Jesus? Who is your favorite disciple of Jesus? Mine's Peter. I just love Peter. Peter was impulsive, impetuous. He was probably ADHD but wasn't diagnosed. (laughs) And you know, he jumped in where angels feared to tread. He was just a piece of work. And I love the guy. He was a tough guy. You remember he sliced off the ear of the high priest's assistant at one point. I like old Peter. And Peter turned to Jesus at one point and said, Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive somebody? How about seven times? He thought he was being magnanimous. How about seven times? You remember what Jesus said to him? Peter, that's nice, but it really is seven times 70 you are to forgive. Seven times 70? Lord, you've got to be kidding. 7 times 70, that equals 490. How do you keep track? 
How am I ever going to remember all the offenses somebody has done to me 490 times? I can't possibly do that. And so old Peter was in a dilemma. And of course, the Word of God challenges him. You see, this was not cerebral math. This was celestial math. This was not math of the head. This was math of the heart. Forgiveness is really God's invention. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice. Forgiveness demands instrumentation. It may be verbal, it may be nonverbal, it may be both. But forgiveness demands some instrumentation. We say it all the time in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sounds conditional to me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. At one point, Jesus was talking to his disciples, and this is what he said to them. It's recorded over in Mark chapter 11. Whenever you stand praying, Jesus is talking to his own followers. Whenever you stand praying. Now remember, first century, they stood to pray. And they would never pray with clenched fists. They always prayed with their palms up, palms open, as recipients of something. So Jesus says to them, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have had anything against anyone, so that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. And then in the passage we just read, it says in verse 33, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus. They crucified Jesus. There with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left left. They nailed Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Three arresting words. They crucified him. They crucified him. And what's so interesting about the gospel writers is that you have to respect their reticence. They didn't give us a whole lot of gory details about the crucifixion. Because anybody in the first century who had seen a Roman crucifixion didn't have to work to recall all they had experienced. The other thing you have to understand is that the gospel writers refused to play to pathos. They also reneged on agony. They didn't lay a whole lot of agony on us. They didn't talk about what it felt like to have the nails go through the hands. They didn't talk about what it meant to have a crown of thorns pressed down on the skull. They didn't talk about the spear in the side and its impact. They didn't talk about the spit. They didn't talk about the flies. They used three words, arresting words. They crucified him. But in this same passage, there are three other words that are distinctive. Three other words that are extremely important. They're equally riveting because Jesus said them from the cross. It was really a prayer. It was a cry. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. This was the Savior of the world. This was the Messiah. This was the Son of God suspended between heaven and earth on the cruelest form of capital punishment the Romans could devise. And he cries out, Father, forgive them. 
Father, forgive them. Three arresting words that complement the three arresting words they crucified him. When it says, Father, forgive them, what do you think the them refers to? To whom does it refer? Do you think he's talking about the criminals, one on the left, one on the right? Do you think he's talking about the Romans? Father, forgive them. These guys gambling over my stuff at the base of the cross. Father, forgive them. Is he talking about the Roman soldier holding the hammer and the nails? Is he talking about that chicken pilot? Is he talking about the Roman authorities? Is he talking about the religious authorities of the day? Is he talking about his own disciples who went AWOL at the cross? Is he talking about the crowds that mocked, made fun? If you're so good, come down off the cross, why don't you? Remember, of course, that crucifixions always took place in the most public setting possible. In Texas, you know, they have a phrase, don't mess with Texas. It really means don't litter. Don't mess with Texas. But in essence, the Romans, by doing a crucifixion in the most public of places, were saying, don't mess with the Romans. Don't mess with the Romans. I think when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was talking about the whole human race. Where do I get that? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. God was in Christ reconciling the whole world to himself. Remember, this is a symbol not of alienation, but a symbol of reconciliation. It is the intervention of God on our behalf. Yes, it's a breathtaking intervention. He gave up his son that we might have life. And then the son cries from the cross, Father, forgive them, forgive them. The Larson family lives in central Florida. Delightfully young family, father, mother, three kids. The oldest boy is 11. Next child is nine. Next one is seven. Stair steps, 11, nine, seven. The Larson family loves to camp out. And they were looking for a new campsite in central Florida, and somebody had recommended a place, so they went to this particular campsite, and they parked in the parking lot, and then decided to walk in through the forest and discover what was available at that campsite. As they were walking in to the forest, the father noticed a sign. It said, naturalists camping. Didn't think much about it. But he kept on walking and walked with the three kids and his wife. And they suddenly came to an intersection in the woods. And there was a path going this way. Their path was headed that way. This path went like this. And Larson said, as we got to this intersection, he said, I heard somebody ringing little bells. And I looked down the path. And here were people coming on bicycles, ringing the little bicycle bell. Ding, 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 ding. And he said... I took one look at these folks and took a second look because none of them were wearing any clothing. Two men, three women, totally naked. He said, I suddenly realized I'd misread the sign. The sign said naturists camping, not naturalists camping. He said, I really didn't know what to do. Do I ask my children for forgiveness? What do I do? So he said, here they come. Five of them on a bicycle. Have you got this picture? 
five of them on the bicycle ringing their little bells and here's this young family standing there and they go by and the oldest boy says dad did you see that he said see what He said, they didn't have their helmets on. <laughs> the gift of anticipation. I don't believe for one minute that it was Roman nails that held Jesus to the cross. You know what nailed Jesus to the cross? It was his love for you and for me. It was a miracle that he stayed on that cross. Could he have left the cross? Absolutely. But the miracle was he stayed on the cross. And we live under the shadow of that cross. Every day we live under the shadow of that cross. There is no escape. It sure looks to me like our forgiveness is related to God's forgiveness of us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It sure sounds conditional to me. Here's the theology. The grace to forgive is a gift from God. The implementation of that is up to us. Christ covered all the hurts that you have given out and all the hurts you have realized and all the hurts you don't deserve. And in this unfair world, the only thing that's fair is to forgive. And if I understand the Word of God at all, when forgiveness happens, we lose the energy it takes to hate. And the prisoner that is set free is me. The prisoner that is set free is me. Mildred is 86 years old. She lives in North Carolina. She's a wonderful Christian lady, lives alone. Her son has a security company, and he wanted to help her because the crime rate was rising in her neighborhood. And so he got her a taser. How's that for a Mother's Day gift? A taser. And he didn't just give it to her. He taught her how to handle it. So she was fully equipped. Sure enough, one day she's in a shopping center, a purse snatcher goes by and grabs her purse. Now, I don't know how this happened. All I know is the purse snatcher ended up with the purse and she ended up with the taser. And so every time this guy tried to get up, she tased him. And every time he moved, she gave him another one and gave him another one. She kept it up. Finally, when the police came, he said, get that woman off me. Get her out of here. He was arrested finally appeared in court, and she asked for the privilege of appearing in court when he showed up. And she went up to the judge, and she said, you know, judge, there isn't anybody in the world that really cares for this young man. I want to care for him. Assign him to me. So she began to work with him, and she helped him complete his high school diploma. Then she paid for him to go to a community college. She covered his tuition. Then she enabled him to go on to college, and he's a success today. That woman put feet to forgiveness. And that's what we are called to do, to put feet to our forgiveness. The unsettling thing about all this is that we cannot receive that which we will not give. We cannot receive that which we will not give. And forgiveness in Jesus Christ 
reverses the corrosive action of our sins. Resentment, revenge, and retaliation simply glue us to the past. Resentment, revenge, and retaliation simply have us repeat over and over again all those old memories that were so painful. Resentment, revenge, and retaliation blots out the face of God. I don't know about you, but I know something about grudges. And grudges are really like grenades. If we won't, don't defuse them, they will destroy us. Grudges are like grenades. And maybe, maybe our spiritual impotency is linked to the fact that we're not as forgiving as God has called us to be. The grace to forgive is a gift from God. The implementation of it is our choice. Christ has covered all the hurts that you have handed out, all the hurts you don't deserve, and all the hurts you have received. And in this unfair world, the only thing we can really do is forgive. Forgive ourselves as well as others. And remember, when forgiveness happens, we lose the energy that it takes to hate. I read the other day where 96 million Americans say they floss every single day. Do you believe that? 96 million Americans say they floss every day. My dentist said there's no truth to that. The idea, of course, is that if you floss, you will take care of some of the disease in your mouth, you will feel better, you'll look better, etc. And why don't more people floss? Because the idea is it will take out the bad that's in our mouths and give us at least some optimism for the future. Maybe even clean up bad breath, maybe take care of disease, maybe take care of infections. You know, there's an analogy there. Because in our body, mind, and spirit, in our psyche, in our souls, there are times we need to look for the stuff that is causing us imperfections, pain, discomfort, disease. And we need to confess that. And we need to do something tangible about expressing forgiveness, the forgiveness of God. I was in a doctor's waiting room and there was a sign on the wall it simply said this, there is nothing the physician can do which will overcome that which the patient will not do. Not bad. We are in the season of Lent. It's a time of penance. It's a time of repentance. A time of preparation so that we can appropriately celebrate Easter. The theme for Lent in this church this year is move from death to life. From death to to life. And if you really choose to move from death to life, you will nail to the cross those grudges that persist. Because God's grace is always greater than our grudges. God's love is always greater than our hate. And the truth is, the cross of Christ expunges the remembrance of harbored sin ours and those of others that we have hoarded so dangerously. We're not talking here about alienation. 
we're talking about reconciliation. And when reconciliation happens, it feels so good. So good. And Beeler was raised in an Amish Mennonite community. And Beeler, at age 19, married her husband Jonas. He was just 21. And by the middle 20s, by her middle 20s, she had three daughters. The youngest daughter was only 18 months when a farm accident killed her. Anne just could not get over that. She was angry at God, she was angry at her husband, she was angry at everybody. And depression started to waft over her, over and over. And suicidal thoughts just tormented her day after day. She lived in despair, she lived in anger. Depression was just a constant. And she couldn't seem to get out of it. For seven years, she and Jonas lived as silent partners. They lived together basically for the other two daughters. But there was no exchange between them, no communication, no peace, no joy, and no forgiveness. Anne knew she needed help, so she went to her local pastor. And unfortunately, he was very controlling. And he really didn't help her. And after seven years of visiting with him, she finally one night talked to Jonas and said, Jonas, this is not working. I'm going to kill myself if we don't get out of this. So Jonas recognized they needed professional help. But he was a farmer, didn't have a big cash flow. He said, how in the world can we afford that? You have to go back some because Anne, when she was 12 years old, was in a farming Mennonite community, and she had asthma. At 12 years of age, she had asthma and could not go out into the fields and work like her siblings. She couldn't work with the animals. So they assigned her the kitchen, and she began to learn to cook at age 12. Now the family had a booth in a farmer's market every weekend, and so she would make upwards of 70 pies and cakes every week for the farmer's market. But the popular thing at the farmer's market was her hand-rolled pretzels. You've seen them, Aunt Annie's pretzels. 1,330 outlets in 46 states and 25 countries, Auntie Anne's pretzels. So she went back to making pretzels in order to provide the income so they could get professional counseling. She affirms the counseling experience. She says God healed their marriage and they are happy people today. And she chooses to give back by the profits from Auntie Anne's pretzels she pours into a counseling center in Pennsylvania they pay for all the staff, and they average something like 25,000 appointments every year. Annie says, without the grace of God and the love of her husband, she wouldn't be here. Feet to forgiveness. I believe that's call, God's call for all of us. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God. We don't understand why you've extended your mercy to us, but we are grateful for it. 
Help us to express forgiveness verbally, non-verbally. Help us to give some instrumentation to the forgiveness we express. And allow us, O oh God, to be practitioners of forgiveness to the point where others might be attracted to the Christ through us. We dare to ask this in the healing, saving name of Jesus Christ. Amen.